good to be here today. As we continue our series, Kingdom Come, I want to start out this uh, morning by um, quoting uh, a 20th century uh, theologian by the name of uh, Elton John, uh, who said, who said, sorry seems to be the hardest word. Sorry seems to be the hardest word. I think for many of us, there's a little bit of truth to that, is there not? That forgiveness does not always come easy. Sometimes looking at somebody and uttering the words, I was wrong, I hurt you, and I ask for your forgiveness is incredibly challenging. It's risky. It involves sacrificing something. It can be really hard. In our current culture where we uh, seem to esteem owning our enemies more than forgiving them, you can even be criticized for forgiving. I want to show you a picture this morning of somebody that most of you don't even know. Do we have that picture? This young man's name is Brant Jean. And in October of 2019, he did something that was absolutely remarkable. A Dallas police officer had been convicted of killing Brant's brother, Botham. The officer had walked into Botham's apartment, apparently mistaking it for her own, and she shot and killed this man, Brant's brother. During the sentencing hearing, this young man took, uh, took the stand to testify, to give a victim impact statement. And when he was giving the victim impact statement, he said this. He said to the person who had killed his brother, I love you just like anyone else, and I'm not going to hope you rot and die. I want the best for you because I know that's exactly what Botham would want for you. Give your life to Christ. I think giving your life to Christ is the best thing Botham would want for you. He then asked the judge if he could embrace and hug the person who killed his brother. And the judge granted permission for that to happen. In a world of so much anger, so much hatred, so much unkindness, boy, we live in unkind times. What Brent did did not make sense in a lot of quarters. It was even criticized. This kind of forgiveness, this level of forgiveness is impossible, I believe, without understanding the most essential and basic things about Jesus Christ. So that's what we're going to explore today. It's no secret that the last couple of years have fractured our planet Families have been torn apart over differences. Some of the differences have to do with the pandemic. Some of them have to do with politics. Some are simply regurgitations of long simmering problems that already existed in family. Add to the fact we have something we didn't have 30 years, and, and that's social media where through the anonymity of a keyboard, we can launch missiles at one another for all the world to see an attack. The world seems heavy, almost too much to bear. Public apologies from politicians and celebrities are oftentimes created by PR firms, and they seem unreal and hollow and artificial. Worse yet, in our society, asking for forgiveness, like I said, is oftentimes seen 
as a sign of weakness. But Jesus says something different. In fact, forgiveness and reconciliation are at the core of the gospel. Since Adam fell in the garden, God has been reconciling us to him, and forgiveness is absolutely a part of that. It is central to that. If you remember several weeks ago, when we started this series, I said that the goal of this series is that we understand the kingdom of God so much, because that's what the parables are really about, what God's kingdom looks like, that we start living like kingdom citizens right now. And in doing that, we give the world a taste of what the values of God really are. And forgiveness is at the center of that. It's interesting. I, I, in this world, don't you think in this world of, of brokenness and division and all of the ugliness and screaming, what if there was a church of people who came from different backgrounds, different age groups, different income levels, maybe different political viewpoints, uh, different ethnicities, and what if there's this group of people that came together under the banner of Jesus Christ and loved one another and cared for one another and forgave one another as Christ forgave them? Yes. What, wouldn't that... Wouldn't that look different? Yes. Amen. The world needs to see that right now. I was, I was at the C3 family night on, on uh, Wednesday. And uh, uh, Royce and Cindy, is, I saw Royce here. Royce is back there. Hi, Royce. How are you doing this morning? Good to see you. Royce and Cindy Larson gave me this. for my. It says, uh, Embassy of the Kingdom of Heaven. Amen. Embassy of the Kingdom of Heaven. And I'm going to put this up. Uh, a lot of, some of you don't know this. I'm kind of, uh, I'm a little ritzy. Uh, is that a word? Anybody that says they're ritzy is not ritzy. I mean, just by, just by the fact that they use the word. But I, uh, I don't like to brag about it, but I, uh, I live on the golf course. Uh, now some of you right now are saying, uh, well, that is kind of fancy, but I live on the golf course on, in a... Uh, in a 27-foot camper trailer. Uh, so it's a little bit different kind of golf course living. But this is going to go up. This is going to go up on, my, uh, on, my, uh, on the estate. Um, <laughs> as a reminder to me that I am an ambassador to the 30-some-odd recreational vehicles that are parked at Riverside Golf Course. And then I'm a person that needs to model kingdom of God principles and values. And what I would like to see for the Centralia Community Church is that we would be a community where we have these little embassies made up of our people around Lewis County, where we're pointing to a different way of living. Look, I am guaranteeing you there's a neighbor on your block that drives you crazy. Some of you are thinking of them right now. What if instead of thinking of them as an annoyance, you, thought, you saw them as a child of God that you need to be an ambassador to? We can change the world. But forgiveness has to be central to that. We have to be a forgiving people. Out of respect for God's word, why don't we stand this morning? We're in Matthew chapter 18. We're starting in verse 21. It says this. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now look what he says here, verse 23. Therefore, 
the kingdom of heaven, here we are, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, what we're supposed to look like right now, is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay the master order that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay everything back. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, and I'll pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went to, uh, and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancel all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Lord Jesus, as we open your word this morning, I just pray that we would openly and honestly examine our own life and our own relationships and, and those we come in contact with, family members, perhaps folks we've, we've struggled with over the years, God, and help us to see them and see our situation through your eyes. And then give us the courage to respond in the way you would have us to respond. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So as we begin this morning, two very simple questions. And I'm guessing some of you probably could even figure out what they are before I, I ask them. Number one is this. Do you need to seek forgiveness from someone? Is there someone in your life you need to seek forgiveness from today? And another question is this, do you need to forgive someone? Do you seek, need to seek forgiveness and do you need to forgive? With that in mind, let's talk, about, let's talk about forgiveness today. First off, and this is kind of where we've been going already, we need to be a people of deep, deep forgiveness. By the way, it's interesting where this passage falls. If you're, if you're looking at this passage on forgiveness, it takes place in a kind of a famous uh, Kind of a famous passage in the Bible, Matthew 18. And for those of you who grew up in the church, Matthew 18 is oftentimes referred to as the church discipline chapter, okay? Uh, and there's a, this passage at the front end of Matthew 18 that talks about what you do if you catch a brother or sister in sin. And, and some of you know this. Some of you went to churches. I went to a church where, where we routinely did discipline on people. We were always hauling them up in front and disciplining them. It was a tough way to grow up. But there is this practice, and it's a biblical practice. It says if you catch somebody in sin, you go to them one-on-one, -on -one, right? And hopefully they will they'll change. So if that doesn't work, you go to them with a, a small group and confront them. And then if that doesn't work, you bring them before the fellowship, and you remove them from fellowship. Matthew 18, the front end, is about maintaining purity in the church. It's about justice and holiness. So on the heels of this passage where we're talking about people caught in sin, Peter chimes in. Peter loves to chime in. I'm always sympathetic to Peter because 
I don't know when to shut up sometimes. But Peter chimes in and he says, he's, he's probably, I'm trying to think about Peter's mindset. He's probably thinking about these sinners that were just caught, you know, that we're talking about. And he comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus says, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Now, there was a common teaching among some rabbis that the, you were to at least forgive people at least three times. In some quarters, it was considered that four times, if somebody, you had to forgive them four times, uh, that they probably weren't repentant. But you should at least forgive three times. But you don't have to go four times. So in comes Peter, probably aware of that popular teaching of the day, and he comes in, and what does he do? He doubles it. In fact, he more than doubles it. He goes, hey, God, should I forgive seven times? He's probably thinking, I'm doing good, right? Seven times. And Jesus kind of blows his thinking all apart. And he says, no, 77 times. Now, Jesus here doesn't mean literally 77 times. What he's saying here is forgiveness must be a way of life. It must be how you live. It's who we are as kingdom people. You want to be identified as, as being a person of the kingdom of God? Be a forgiving person. Yes, we hold people accountable for their actions, Matthew 18. But we are forgiving people. By the way, as I begin this, because this isn't the first time I've preached on forgiveness, and it's not the first time I've heard a sermon on forgiveness, one of the things I'm aware of this morning is there are people in here today who, who need to forgive themselves, right? Sometimes self-forgiveness is the most difficult form of forgiveness. Now, as we dive in, I do want to say something, because over the years when I've taught on forgiveness, this can be a real hang-up for some people. One of the things I do, in fact, most pastors do it, is counseling. And one of the things I'm aware of, because I've been doing this for a while, is there are people in here today who have been deeply, deeply wounded by somebody else. Uh, there are people in here who maybe have been the victims of, of horrible, horrible things, uh, forms of abuse, sometimes perpetrated uh, by the hands of somebody who is close to you, and you sit here this morning and that's a heaviness you have. Do I, can I forgive, right? Is, is forgiveness even possible? Now, let me say this first off. God loves you. And it was not God's desire that you be wounded in such a horrible, horrible way. I believe that with all my heart. And for folks that are going through this, one of the things I always like to tell them, because I think in some respects it is liberating, I'll have people say to me, you know, I'm, I'm supposed to forgive and forget. I don't know if I can do that. And, and what I tell people is this. I, I do make a line between forgiveness and forgetting. You know, the Bible seems to teach us that God forgets our sins. Well, one of the things I've learned over the years is I'm not God. None of us are, right? And what God has the capability to do in my human frailty, I may not have the capability to do. So I don't believe necessarily that we are called to forget what happened to us. But I do believe we're called to be a people of forgiveness. Forgetting, in fact, can be, can be important, or not forgetting can be important because it allows us to place boundaries in our life and develop good relationships 
uh, that protect ourselves and others. So if you're struggling with that this morning, it's okay not to forget. But forgiveness is something I think we all have to wrestle with, and I think it's not only for the good of the offender, but I think it's deeply important for our own hearts. It's deeply important for our own hearts. An inability to forget is not an indication that there's something wrong with your faith. There's a, there's a guy who has been pretty influential in my life. His name is Louis Smedes. Uh, he's a theologian, but Louis Smedes, some of you know, have heard the name Louis Smedes before. Louis Smedes is a theologian, but he's also done a lot of work in the area of counseling folks who are broken. And Smead said this, when we forgive someone, we do not forget the hurtful act as if forgetting came along with the forgiveness package, the way strings come with a violin. Begin with the basics. If you forget, you will not forgive at all. But you can never forgive people for things you've forgotten about. You need to forgive precisely because you have not forgotten what someone did. Your memory keeps the pain alive long after the hurt has stopped. Remembering is a storage of pain. It's why you need to be healed in the first place. Does that make sense? There's a sort of relationship between forgiving and forgetting. Now, these are hard things, but they're worthwhile and necessary. And I would argue as a church, um, in a church like this, where we've been around together, many of us for a long time, some of you for a long time, there are relationships in, in church over time where there needs to be forgiving and reconciliation and healing. Whenever we can, we need to be a people who offer forgiveness and seek forgiveness whenever necessary. Forgiveness for the Christian is a source of strength, not a source of weakness. You hear me? The strong person is able to forgive. Fortunately, we have the grandest of all role models. God's treatment of us should serve as our model for our forgiving others. Look what happens in verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle the accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, a servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. The message here is pretty simple. The amount of forgiveness and grace we have been shown is immeasurable. As followers of Jesus Christ, one of the things that I have fought back against over the years, as hard as I can, is legalism in the church. Because when churches are legalistic, they're forgetting so much of the forgiveness that they have received. Right? We are the greatest recipients. When we walk out in, to Centralia and Chehalis, we're not going out as people uh, who somehow are better than anyone else. We're simply people who have been recipients of forgiveness, and we want to extend that to others. Now, it's interesting here. The, the, this is a parable, right? It's a story that Jesus is using for illustrative purposes and the amount of, 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 what does he say there? He says different amounts in different translations, but they all add to the same thing. 10,000 bags of gold. This would have been, this debt that Jesus models here, it talks about, would have been the equivalent of 30 and 100 million days wages. Okay, think about that for a second. The death that Jesus describes here is between 30 and 100 million days wages. In other words, 
What he's describing here is a, is a death that realistically can, can never be forgiven, and yet he forgives it. We see this servant who, and maybe there's an argument or a parallel that can be made here for free will. God grants us free will. And in our free will, in our fallen state, we sin and we're broken. And we pile up this huge debt of sin, and yet Jesus comes in and forgives. Romans 5.8 says this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, we just came through Easter and Good Friday a month ago. And as I was preparing this, there's this, this heaviness on my heart as I was considering that Friday. And you have the God of the universe, right? Who's being nailed to this cross, the most ruthless form of capital punishment in the a Roman world where uh, a, a, a person nailed to the cross would just suffocate slowly in the most painful and agonizing form of death. And while that was happening for all the sins of the world, he looks down and he says, what? He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Do you realize, folks, that when Jesus was doing that, he was saying that to us? He was saying that to you and me? If he can say that to me, can I not forgive others? God extended forgiveness to me before, before I even asked. Now, one of the things, though, now, and this is what makes forgiveness hard, and I think it's, it's important that we be honest about it. One of the things that we need to realize is that when a debt is relieved, the one forgiving the debt pays the price. Forgiveness doesn't come easy. I don't expect it to come easy. God's forgiveness is costly. And when we forgive, we are choosing to relinquish something. We're choosing to give something up. If you look at Hebrews chapter 9, there's this very simple truth that we see throughout Scripture. It says this, The law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Now, Christ was the shedding of blood that granted us forgiveness, right? And it cost him. Make no mistake about it. And I would say this. When we forgive, it costs us something. Don't gloss over it. You may have to go and, and initiate relationship when it's uncomfortable, when you don't want to. You may have to reach out to somebody who's wronged or harmed you. You have every right, by the way, if they have wronged you, to hold them to account. But in some sense, our forgiveness is choosing to release them from that debt, right? That's so hard. But we have it modeled for us in the form of Jesus Christ. In forgiving, we acknowledge that we're carrying something heavy. We're releasing the person who has sinned against us from punishment from our right to exact a pound of flesh. Forgiving is actually acknowledging that something heavy went on and then choosing to release. Tim Keller says that God's grace and forgiveness while free to the recipient are always costly for the giver. 
From the earliest parts of the Bible, it was understood that God cannot forgive without sacrifice. No one who is seriously wrong can just forgive the perpetrator. But when you forgive, that means you absorb the loss and the debt. You bear it, for, for your, you bear it yourself. All forgiveness, then, is costly. What I'm asking us as a people to do today is not easy, but it is good, and it's the way of the cross, the way of reconciliation. There's a price. So, for some this morning, you know, I started, you need to forgive somebody. For some, it may seem like a bridge too far today. But this passage makes it clear that the spirit of unforgiveness is always destructive. It's interesting what happens. This, this fellow servant goes out, the one just released from his dead, and another servant owed him a hundred silver coins, a much, 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 much smaller debt. And yet he grabbed him and choked him and paid him back. It's ugly language. This, this, what this man goes and does. After just being uh, liberated, freed from the heaviness of his unpayable burden, he now cannot find it in him to forgive somebody a much smaller, a much smaller debt. It's a picture of us. The challenge is, is that, and here's the interesting thing, and, and you don't need me to tell you this, but I'm going to anyway. We all know that when we struggle and have a hard time forgiving, it usually is, causes us more problems than the person we need to forgive. It eats away at our soul. It, it causes more wounding. In, in very real terms, a spirit of unforgiveness becomes a prison. It keeps me locked in a past that God wants to move me beyond. Somebody once said that unforgiveness is, is choosing to stay trapped in a jail cell of bitterness, serving time for someone else's crime. Think about that. Unforgiveness is choosing to stay trapped in a jail cell of bitterness, serving time for someone else's crime. By the way, and this is tough, but when we fail to forgive, in some sense, we're sort of overriding God. We're telling God we, we know better. Think about that for a second. We do know that the way of forgiveness is God's plan for us. The way of reconciliation is God's plan for us. And when we say, I cannot forgive, when we say, I cannot reconcile, we're saying we know better than God. Now, I think, you know, you know what? I, I think those statements are hard and, and we need to be careful of them. You know what I think is a fair statement? I don't know how to forgive. I don't know how to reconcile. I think when we ask those questions, it's a good starting point. It allows God to come in and start working. If you're at a place this morning where you're really struggling with this idea of forgiveness, I would say, maybe start with that. Say, God, I don't know how to forgive. Show me. I don't know how to heal a relationship. Show me. When we... When we refuse to forgive, we're really not trusting God with a circumstance. We're choosing to control it. We're choosing not to release. Micah, chapter 7. Who is a God like you who pardons sins and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight 
to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our inequities into the depths of the sea. I love that passage, this idea that God delights in showing mercy. You know what? I'll be honest. I can be a person that holds grudges. You know, I'll see somebody get what's coming to them, and I'm like, <laughs> you know, I'm like, woo, you know. But God desires that I be a person who loves mercy, who, who, who embraces mercy, who celebrates mercy, who delights in it like, like Micah says. You want to be more like Jesus? You want to do one thing that will make you look more like Jesus? Forgive. Forgive other people. Now, one of my concerns is that of the witness of the church. The last couple years have been interesting, haven't they? Tough times. One of the things that drives me crazy is watching Christians tear each other apart on social media. It angers me. I think it angers God. Getting back to talk of justice. I see Christians unwilling to forgive each other over issues and divisions that are not essential to the cause of Christ. And I think it pains the heart of Jesus Christ. I think it wounds the heart of Jesus Christ. People notice the unforgiving church, particularly if there, or people notice the unforgiving, particularly if there is unforgiveness in the church. Look what happens in verse 31. It's a verse I think sometimes gets skipped over. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. When the world sees Christians that will not forgive, you know what they say? They say, see, told you. You see that? I told you. I told you. <laughs> Folks, we can't be hypocrites. We have to be authentic. For those of us who've been recipients of great forgiveness we need to be a people that offer great forgiveness. We need to be models of forgiveness. Church, we can have the right message. We can have correct theology. We can have outstanding worship and, and great messages. We can have the most effective and, and smart Bible studies. But the message of Jesus without the methods of Jesus is not the message of Jesus. I'll say it again. The message of Jesus without the methods of Jesus is not the message of Jesus. Our words need to align with our actions. This is a sad parable. It ends sadly. An unforgiving life is an unforgiven life. Then the master called the servant in. He said, you wicked servant. He said, I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. It's hard, isn't it? Forgiveness is not easy. You know, if you've been on the earth for not very long at all, a little child, and you've learned to talk, boy, it's not long after you learn to talk, you need to learn how to apologize, isn't it? Because we live in a broken world. 
And it's imperative that we as the church of Jesus Christ model this one thing very clearly, the spirit of forgiveness. It is a powerful testimony to the world. I would argue it may be the most important testimony to the world. Can we be a people of forgiveness? I remember my 10-year class reunion. You know, it was only a couple years ago, so it's not that hard. Um, But I remember my 10-year class reunion. It would have been uh, 19, high school, 1995. And I remember getting ready uh, for, you you know, your 10-year class reunion. Um, You know, your 10-year class reunion is kind of a weird class reunion uh, because nobody's really, most people haven't really accomplished anything yet. A lot of you are still kind of poor and, you know, you know. But you're all trying to show each other up, right? You want to look good for your class reunion. And uh, so I remember going out and I, I, got a, I got a new blazer. I look good. I won't lie. Uh, but uh, as I was getting ready to go to my class reunion, I had this heaviness on my heart. Um, there was a guy that I was in class with from the fifth grade on who was a little different. And all of us probably had one of those kids around. And because he was a little different in fifth grade, he got singled out real quickly. And I joined in the fray. And this kid, I, I made fun of him. There were, there were certainly people who, who were far more cruel, but I was cruel. And it wasn't just fifth, sixth, and seventh grade. I, I went through high school with this guy, and I wasn't very nice to him. In fact, I was cruel to him, at times vicious to him, making fun and singling him out, causing him to cry. You know, you can chalk it up and say, well, you were, you know, everybody in high school's like that. No, everybody in high school's not like that. There were kids who were kind to him. I wish I'd been one of those kids, but I remember getting ready for my, my 10th class reunion, and I remember thinking to myself, I'm going to see a lot of old friends for the first time, but I'm going to apologize to this guy at our class reunion. It was heavy on my heart, and I remember our first, our tenure was actually on our campus. And uh, so I got there, and I singled it out. Uh, I looked for him right as I got there, and I was able to identify him, and I, I went over, and I apologized to him. And he thanked me. You know, it had been 10 years. He's, you know, he was what you'd expect. It's okay. I've forgotten all about it. But I needed to do it. And, and uh, there was a sense of release that came from that. I think everybody in here has probably had to apologize. And there is a spirit of release that comes from it. Can we be a people of forgiveness? Can we release those things to God and trust him with our anger? And say, God, I don't know how I'm going to deal with this, but you do know. God, give me, the, give me the ability. You know, we talk about being a kingdom come people. What is... What does the Lord's Prayer say? Where it says, your kingdom come, your will be done. It also says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Part of introducing God's kingdom to this world is being a people of forgiveness. 
Let's be that kind of people.